We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And now New Galaxy Broadcasting presents Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition, a program addressing the grave challenges to human and citizen rights in America and the rest of the world. How can we, the people of Earth, take back the power and privileges granted to us by God and address so significantly in the Declaration of Independence? Our rights are inalienable, that is, given by God and incapable of being taken away from or given by another. These rights are the basis of liberty, the foundation of all life and happiness. The Coalition of Planetary Empowerment is an organization designed to give its members tools and information to empower them personally, in relationships, and in business and employment, but also to give them a voice and the ability to help transform political and corporate governance to support the true needs and desires of people throughout the world. Inalienable and Free focuses on the need for government and corporate business interests to be responsive to the will and desire of their constituents and consumer shareholders. Hi, this is Johnny Blue Star on Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition, and we are very happy, happy to present to you today Rich Proceda, who is an attorney, and we'll talk about that in a moment, what the kind of attorney is, is quite interesting, but he's also, he also does a, a podcast, and he has a blog, and he's uh, very involved in, I would guess you'd call it progressive Christian politics. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Progressive Christianity, but I'm kind of also new age too, but... So you're a hybrid. Yes, I'm a hybrid. That's definitely <laughs> the case. Okay, so so Rich, um, tell me a little bit about, before we go into uh, your, your special interests, and of course the topic of our, of our very interesting conversation, which will be the potential or possibility or advisability of impeachment of Donald J. Trump. Maybe we could talk about your law, your legal expertise and what you focus on. Well, right now I'm currently do social security disability law. In the past, I've written a textbook on foreign comparative constitutional law. And I took a lot of courses in constitutional law and studied under Jamie Raskin at American University in Washington, D.C. But right now my job is to help disabled people get Social Security disability benefits. And that's a very rewarding career for me. And so that's what I do on my job right now, besides writing, which I use my legal skills and abilities on addressing issues like impeachment. And that's what I've been working on recently. Well, you know, my father was an attorney who made his money by suing insurance companies, a lot lot of insurance companies for medical reasons, which is why he hated the establishment in many ways. And he was definitely in in a sort of liberal, had a liberal point of view. But my mother was the the head social worker in a nonprofit devoted to helping people in poverty get legal services. Awesome. And they both had a uh, course that they taught together in law and poverty. So I think that uh, at least your heart, maybe not the exact specialty, is very much where my parents were. Yeah, I, I think I'm probably with your parents because it's very important for poor people who are disabled. And most of my clients are poor. 
And most people who become disabled lose their job, they lose everything. And that really doesn't have to happen, but in our system, that's what happens. And they end up on the streets, homeless, without a family. That's so, terrible. Yeah. And a lot, of them are, a lot of them are veterans too, right? That's true too. A lot of them are veterans coming back with trauma from their experiences to on top of and other problems they have. So, Well, tell us a little bit, first of all, about your blog. My blog, modernlectionaries.blogspot.com. It began as an attempt to help pastors and clergy have a progressive message to preach on Sunday mornings. So I wrote on the scripture readings from the Revised Common Lectionary, which is just a list of scripture that is used by mainline churches, many churches across the country, to determine which scripture passages they would be reading or preaching from on any particular Sunday so that churches across the country are preaching on the same passage. So I took advantage of that and through my own courage decided I was going to start to write on these biblical verses and scripture and inter give them interpretations that are more progressive because I found in doing the research to write those articles that a lot of the scripture, the interpretations are not progressive. They come out orthodox. Mm -hmm. So, but ultimately it became a spot for all my writing. And as I said, I'm sort of new age. I've been a paranormal investigator and I've had personal experiences of the supernatural. So I sometimes fall outside of the mainline church in that regard, which is more dogmatic, let's say, or, or less about the supernatural, more about the modern social concerns. But so it became a place for all my writing. But the main focus has been on trying to develop a scriptural and theological basis for interpretation at the church level, because while a lot of academics understand that justice is such a huge issue in scripture, they're trying to bring it down to their congregations, but they're confronted oftentimes with making it conform to orthodoxy. And I just took the Bible as it is, and I threw out all the dogmatic orthodox doctrines, and I just decided I was going to read it as, I, as it is, and in its historical and political and social context, what John Dominic Crossan calls the matrix or the matrix that the scripture was written in, so that I can understand it both as they would have understood it back then and what its actual meaning is. And what I've discovered is it's largely a political document because there's no separation of religion and politics in the ancient world. The kings were gods and sons of gods. And so it's a political document. It's really about an occupied and enslaved people and their story and their attempts at self-governments. And then in the New Testament, it's the story of a social movement of an occupied people fighting against their oppressors and what's all involved in that. And we still have that situation is the what we call the human condition. We still are living with oppressive structures, domination systems. And so scripture really provides us with a deep spiritual understanding of the human condition. And it's one of oppression and suppression and violence. 
And the scripture tries to teach us how to overcome that. So that's that's what I've been working on to sort of Interesting. Be, a, yeah, be a counter to the Orthodox Christian views who have a lot of people out there or the conservative Christians. I really am calling for a reunification of the church as opposed to a reformation around the themes of justice and charity and not so much dogma. What about the um, concept of, you might say, the polling doctrine of salvation? How does, how does that fit in? Does it fit in, to your point? Yes, the doctrine of salvation in Scripture is actually about the here and now. So it's often referred, most often in the Bible, to the, the return, the exodus, or not the exodus, but is an act of salvation, but the return from Babylon, and when the king allowed the Jews to leave and return back to their home country. That this is a salvation of this world. And in fact, God said, promise the main promise to Abraham, which I believe Jews and Muslims share, is to bring God's salvation to the ends of the world, to be a light to the nation in order to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. So that salvation is not a salvation of the afterlife. In the Bible, when the word salvation is used, it rarely refers to the afterlife. It more refers to an experience of of the eternal life now in the community. So it's really salvation from oppression or liberation from oppression, salvation from the forces of darkness that are the powers and authorities that rule this world. So it's not really a, now as far as the afterlife goes, my personal belief is that we all have an afterlife. And I would even argue that Christians have to agree with that too, no matter how orthodox, because the only question for them is where you're going to spend that afterlife. Well, what is your take on that? I, you know, I struggle with death. I have a problem with death. I, well, I've had all these experiences with the supernatural, and so I know that there's something beyond this realm. I've, I've experienced it. It still is very sad when somebody, when we lose somebody, and that individual person is no longer with us, at least in this material existence. So mine is really based on experience, and I don't, I don't really believe in having beliefs because I don't believe believing something changes it. In other words, if I believe there's an afterlife, that suddenly there is going to be an afterlife. But I've had experiences of it, so I think it's more likely than not that after we pass on, we might be surprised to find that we still are there in some form. And that's my my hope. And I, my hope is also that there's some justice in the afterlife, too, that, that people who have went around harming people, there's some type of karma where they may have to face those people in the afterlife. Have you, have you, are you familiar with near-death experiences? Yes. In fact, I had what might be called a near-death experience when I was very young, when I got hit by a truck and, and I found myself sitting on the curb looking at my mangled body on the street. Wow. Yeah. And a man who may have been my grandfather, but I've seen a number of occasions, I think a guardian angel sort of asked me why, whether I wanted to go or whether I wanted to stay. And I looked at my mother, who was apparently distraught. And I remember this. I don't remember it being in words, but I remember the idea that um, my mommy and daddy need me. So I went back in and, uh, just sort of walked over there and next thing I know I'm in my body. But so so that was my experience. 
Well, that's a very powerful experience for sure. Yeah. It may be the reason why I have these experiences too. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've been studying these things for a long, long time myself. I haven't had that type of experience, but I've encountered many, many people who have in literature and person to some extent. But let's talk about your podcast for one more second before we get on to the main core of our discussion. Well, one of the things as an artist I do is I take my blog and or my articles and then I turn them into podcasts. So I started a podcast called Bible Study for Progressives. Oh, I see. Yeah. Again, with the same type of idea that we would talk about scripture, spirituality, and politics from a leftist or left of center position. And so that, and then, uh, but I've also branched out and done podcasts just straight on politics. And I'm also right on politics and religion for laprogressive.com. So I also do straight political opinion pieces too. I did that in college. And so we, we do that. And I invite a group of people um, a professor, ministers, and we just, I do a reading and then we talk about the issues and it, and it goes pretty in depth. So it's, it's a podcast for those who really want a meat and potatoes type of podcast about progressive ideas and scripture and Christianity and all those issues related to religion and politics. Well, in a few minutes after we take a break, we're going to apply your point of view and see how where it goes when it comes to the subject of impeachment of Donald J. Trump. We'll be right back. This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. One of the most exciting projects I've regularly been involved in is the creation of nonfiction books, often collaborating with new authors on a wide variety of topics, either through editing or through writing, sometimes being guided by the client's direction or collaborating directly with the client. In this capacity, I've worked on a book on abolishing the caste system in India, a system of selling with integrity and sensitivity towards client and product, several fascinating memoirs, one with a Korean war veteran and crime fighter, another with one of the greatest ventriloquists and television producers in the 50s and 60s. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com and fill out the contact form. In Ken Ede's book, The Involuntary Spy, Seth Rogen, a scientist, after having discovered a major deception created by a multi-billion dollar worldwide agribusiness giant that he works for, is driven by his conscience to release the information to the public at the peril of his reputation, career, and life itself. To do this, he must take refuge in Moscow. Here is an excerpt. Chapter 4 Yuri helped Seth settle into the safe house in Moscow. Tomorrow night, he would take the nine-hour flight to the Far East. From the apartment, he could see the colorful and distinctive towers of St. Basil's Cathedral from his window, and the glittering gold onion domes of the Church of Annunciation in the Kremlin. This was the Kremlin he had seen so many times on television. Back then, during the Cold War, it had represented the seat of the Empire of Evil. Now, it was oddly beautiful. The American press was already doing damage control on Seth's report to Russia today. The president called it propaganda, and said that the United States was against the manufacture of biological weapons. Spokesmen from the company said that Seth's report to RT should be disregarded as the words of a traitor and a thief. Because of his fleeing the country, Seth's story was discredited in every mainstream media report. Okay, your name now is George Amers, said Yuri, smiling, holding out documents. 
Here is new passport. I'm Canadian? Yes. Does that mean I have to say A all the time? Seth, Russians don't care what you say. But don't talk to people. Don't talk to people. And don't go anywhere. Just to work and back home. Sounds boring. Isn't that what you guys do in America anyway? Well, yeah. Okay. Don't make friends. If you want a girl, we get you girl. That sucks. Look, it's only for six months. Then you can do what you want. If you see anything suspicious, call me. Six months, eh? Yes, six months. Oh, and shave mustache and color hair. What? You prefer shave head and color mustache? No, no, that's okay. I'll take the hair color. And we fix nose. What's wrong with my nose? Nose too big. It's not. We fix anyway. Okay, let me see if I've got it. Don't go anywhere. Don't make friends. Sleep with prostitutes that you send to me and wear a disguise. Yes, you are smart. Don't forget to use lenses I gave you for eyes. And what? Lose some weight. Seth worked on his disguise with the materials Yuri had left in the safe house. He said a fond farewell to the mustache that had been with him since high school and picked a dark brown color to mask his light brown hair. With the contacts in, his eyes changed from green to brown. He didn't even recognize himself. The surface disguise was the easy part. Being George Amers would be the true disguise to master. Here's a famous civil rights song performed by The Roots. Marching on the feet 
It was nothing but jubilation. When we were at the Capitol and Wallace is up in the window, peeping behind the blinds, and he didn't come out to see my bandage over my head that covered the seven stitches. We had marched that 50 miles that they told us that we weren't going to march. They had to surrender the steps of the Capitol. It's a very triumphant moment. They told us we wouldn't get here. Now with those who said that we would get here only over their dead bodies. Well, all the world today knows that we are here and we are standing before the forces of power in the state of Alabama saying we ain't gonna let nobody turn us around. I was a doctor. Nothing did for us what that did. Keep on walking, keep on talking, marching on the freedom land. This is Johnny Blue Star. We're back on Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition, with Rich Proceda, who does a lot of different things that we've been talking about, blogs and podcasts and a lot of writing important stuff. But today, we are going to talk about a popular subject, impeachment. And how would you describe your point of view about impeachment, right or wrong? I mean, do you consider this a sort of a legal point of view, a moral point of view? Or what? what is your point of view about it? I suspect that it's probably legal because of the analysis. It's based on the need to defend the Constitution and protect our democracy from a, a tyrant who is above the law. And I think in short, the position is, is that Congress's duty is to uphold the rule of law. So if they're going to do their job, a president in a system that's actually functioning will be held accountable for his unlawful conduct. And I think we need to make sure to do that. And and so it's almost in, in that sense, it's inevitable. So now we need to bring the public along too. And like in Nixon, the public was not fully on board until later. But I think that's the reason we're seeing Congress moving more towards impeachment because they have that responsibility and that duty. And so we need to be behind them. And so I I think you want to summarize it. It seems to be more of a a legal sort of constitutional concern for democracy and fighting for democracy, which I think right now we need to face this question. Will we allow the president to be above the law or will we hold him accountable for his law for that while at a time when our constitute when our democracy is under attack by foreign interference and our need for our, our institutions to to defend our democratic institutions at a time when our democracy is under attack essentially I, well so, i'd like to make a point about that this is a it's a little bit oblique to your point but it's related you see i think the reason that it's so important is the reason that stands behind the Constitution and the Declaration, which is that these particular ideas, they were kind of, well, they were definitely Masonic ideas, ideas of the equality of man, and they were ancient ideas, but they were not, li- they were not pervade in government very much. And so, the pe- when you say that all men are created equal and uh, endowed with certain inalienable rights among those life living in pursuit of happiness, you are making a, a spiritual statement, which was not carried out completely by the fi- founding fathers, but evolved. So, when we talk about American ideals and, and the Constitution, we are talking about a, a, um, 
actually a, a legal document that not only did it evolve legally, it, it evolved spiritually. Not because it, it's inscribed there, but because of the intentions that were originally inspired by and, and written down by Jefferson. And I was listening to Erwin Cherminsky, the dean of the Berkeley School of Law, speaking just today. Well, I was listening to him today, at least. Yeah. And the Constitution is a living document, he said. Uh -huh. And it so it we can't interpret things going all the way back into history to what Madison and Hamilton, I mean, Madison and Hamilton even disagreed on a lot of issues. So the document comes up and even the people who created it have their disagreements. So we can't necessarily turn and always look at it as if it's the what the founding fathers believe, because a lot of issues they don't address. They actually wrote something in, into law, which was not did not correspond to what they said in certain ways. So the inspiration uh, was way ahead of their legal document, but eventually it caught up more with it. I would say with the free, you, you know, the abolishment of slavery, women's suffrage, all these other things. So right. I'm just it, saying there, there's a, a certain sense when you say that what the Constitution meant, like what we would say, we're talking about subliminally, we're, we're talking about it because even though it's a legal document and we have to hold them to that, and that's what all we can hold them to, it has a spiritual foundation behind it. Right. The preamble that you mentioned gives us the purpose and what their goals and their value. And we interpret the Constitution using our values. And it should be no surprise that liberals come up on diff and conservatives on different ends of issues because they're of their values. But it, what the Constitution is really a product of the Enlightenment and the rise of democracy. And I think that's what's under attack now. Very much Demo so, yes. Yeah. And, and so that's why we're seeing a devaluation of our democratic institutions on the left. And I think that's the result of foreign interference in our elections. I have a little bit of a dispute with that because okay. we have interfered with so many countries in so many ways, including including very deadly ways and, you know, assassination or imprisonment of their leaders that and interfered directly with their elections clandestinely or otherwise that what really what did Russia could what did Russia do really even if they did all those things much of which is unprovable still I think it's true that we have been the enemies of democracy in the world and that's why I think it's really wouldn't be fair to say that democracy has failed because the its main champion has not been its proponent it's been its enemy right so and democracy is something we need to continually fight for it's not something we just get and then now we have and we go vote and we can go home and watch TV or do whatever we want democracy is something that we continually have to fight for it's been continually under attack in many ways and I actually think that I know that the United States has interfered in other other countries and even overthrown democratically elective governments. And the reason we are in the situation we are in now is because of this failure of U.S. foreign policy to actually support democracies. Well, well another thing is that although there may have been some Russian involvement in Cambridge Analytica, Cambridge Analytica, which was be responsible for targeting American citizens with and putting out certain types of uh, sort of uh, doctored news and uh, perhaps untrue news and news that was slanted, was a, a, a product and related to the Trump administration itself. Yeah, I'm not sure what you mean by that. 
But I, I do want to say that the that it wasn't just Russia. And I, th- I really think that Russia and other countries have infiltrated us, have, have been interfering in our politics for a lot longer than just a few years. Oh, yeah, I'm they, sure of that. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, we've been doing it and they've been doing it. Russia's been doing it to us, of course. And we have been doing it to Russia, definitely, of course, but during the uh, Soviet Union and now. Uh, we're all over the place. We're, we're, we're eavesdropping on, you know, somebody who's running for election or is elected in, in Germany. And we're looking at our doing sur- massive surveillance of our, our um, allies, even our besides our enemies. I mean, we focused on Facebook, but I don't think Facebook is the, the main thing. And by focusing on Facebook, people start to say things, well, maybe we shouldn't have so much free speech then. I mean, it's the exact wrong answer to the question. Well, it's not the, so much the Facebook, it's the giving up of our profiles and information to Facebook so that they could do an analysis of what would sway us, what would persuade us. Not, it wasn't Facebook who did it, it was Facebook who released that information. And yes, the information was there on Facebook, but I'm saying they took millions of, literally millions, they customized many millions of people. I'm not talking about Facebook, I'm talking about Cambridge Analytica that got into Facebook and could take the profiles of the member friends of the people who were t- who had the profiles and they had something like 5000 data points about each person it's it's amazing that facebook could do this and then just put people in their own bubble and one would think in kindergarten we all learned that we need to respect and listen to other people's points of view and yet facebook decided that oh it wasn't going to do that it was just going to surround people with their own points of view and put them in a little bubble and and that the end of that is completely foreseeable but i don't think facebook is i guess what i'm trying to say is that when we focus on facebook maybe the focus on facebook just attacks our free speech rather than really focusing on more of the broader okay. i'm just saying generally you know i think it's coming from academia I think it comes through the Communist International Party. I think we get, it's coming down through the church. I mean, I I see bad information coming from the corporate establishment down through the church, from Putin to the International Communist Party, into local socialist politics and thinking, from Nancy Pelosi and the establishment down to local democratic activists. They really, when they get people to actually buy into what they're saying, then they get an, that's a trifecta for them. They get people out there pushing their message without having to pay for it or force it. So what we have, and this is the debate about impeachment on the left, is we have the forces of Russian interference coming in and telling us to ignore Trump. This is about social policies and campaign issues. We've got Nancy Pelosi coming down telling us, be afraid if we go forward to Trump, we're going to lose our seats in the House. Uh, it's not worth it. You know, impeachment, he's too Impeachment is too good for him, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, so and we academia, the same socialist type of ideas are also in academia. So it's not just Facebook that's doing. It. In fact, the biggest purveyors of misinformation was not Facebook, but it was Fox News and even part of the partisan media. So, like when we focus on Facebook and get all upset about Facebook, but it's really Fox News that is causing a lot of division with misinformation, and also the partisan news. And that goes back to Supreme Courts. There was a 
fairness doctrine that they eliminated. And there were some reasons to eliminate the fairness doctrine, but it just created opinionated news programs. And so now we don't we don't have the same type of news that we had in the 50s with Walter Conkright that we can actually trust. Every news source is influenced. And I guess that's real. We have to recognize that Everybody has their own perspective, opinion, and position, and that's going to influence how they interpret and see events. In that sense, it's okay. But I think we we have much more deeply influenced, and that's why the left is always divided, and the right seems to be unified, because Russia and those entities want to divide the left and unify the right around nationalism. And and so we have to, when we're talking about impeachment, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with misinformation and from corporate Democrats and from foreign interference that's preventing us from moving forward and holding the president accountable. Well, let's get into uh, some of the grounds of, of for impeachment that you um, basically think are sort of core issues. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be nonfiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio or video products on the internet, television or radio, musical scores for advertising, television or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing, and useful technology, and offering platforms for positive, socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast, and we offer client-based and collaborative products, as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com. That's www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. If you're not fond of books, you may be interested in watching Dr. Rodier's slide presentation on his website, hugorodier.com. That's H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com. It lasts 48 minutes and explains the simple roots of all diseases with pictures and graphs that are easy to understand. The presentation includes basic principles of physics, philosophy, anthropology, and history to truly integrate the most vital pillars of human health. This is a beautiful song by Patty Greer, famous for her investigations and films about crop circles, but also as a singer, songwriter, and musician, she has created a myriad of extraordinary songs. Here is We Want Our Planet Back by Patty Greer. We want our planet back. It's been going on too long. Everyone is waking up and the animals are strong. Nature needs rebounding, so we're wishing on the stars. I'm just a kid at heart, and that's where we start. Who's in 
let's do it differently It's sickening all the people And it's killing all the trees It's falling in our eyes And it's getting harder to see The beauty that is our world And the freedom to be free We're back on Inalienable Free, Voice of the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment, with Rich Proceda, an attorney, but also a progressive Christian who's taken a sort of position on politics and trying to make things actually happen. And um, so he has a blog and he has a podcast. And now we, we are discussing the impeachment of Donald Trump. Yes. Yeah, so the most disturbing thing in the Miller Report is that Trump encouraged a foreign nation to commit espionage against the United States and its institutions. Well, at the very same time that espionage was actually happening, at the same time that Donald Trump Jr. was looking for dirt on Hillary Clinton from foreign agents and candidate Donald Trump was asking Russia to release Clinton emails, Russian agents were actually hacking into Democratic Party and Clinton campaign servers and working with Julian Assange to release stolen emails. And then after seeking to benefit from Russian espionage, the high-level officials in Trump's campaign lied and attempted to cover up their contacts with Russian agents, and, and many of them went to jail. And then President Trump 
attempted to obstruct the investigation into that very criminal activity that he had encouraged and sought to benefit from. And I think that is an impeachable contact to go out and do these things. Well, I have, a, I have a little bit of a thought here because you, you have actually put a lot together, you know, about his misdeeds in the area of, as you're saying, espionage. First of all, and I'm saying, I'm not telling you that I know, but you know the story of Seth Rich, right? Um, not deeply. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's familiar, but I, remind me. Well, Seth Rich was uh, dealing with those type of records for the uh, DMC, and uh, it's really a very contorted story because there's claims in both directions. But the idea was that he was murdered. They didn't take anything from him around that time. So that he was the person who downloaded that information and gave it to somebody else, I think a former British member of parliament. I don't remember. Maybe he was a, a diplomat. I think he was a diplomat. And all that is kind of vague, but I mean, the diplomat himself said that he received the information and gave it to WikiLeaks. But he didn't actually know. I don't think he knew exactly what he was giving. He was given some information and he gave it to WikiLeaks. And Julian Sage has always said that he didn't do it and even offered a reward because of the person, because of the uh, murder of Seth Rich. So, so people say, well, he did that to dis get people not to think that he was involved with, with Russia. But I personally think that there's not very much public evidence that's really known. I mean, when, you, when people start saying, well, the intelligence agency said this or that, I have to say, that's not telling me what really happened. And so if it did happen that this came from Seth Rich, a person working for the Democratic Party because he was disgusted with it, because it was doing disgusting things, right? Yes. Uh, then, and it got to WikiLeaks that way, then th that really reduces the role of Russia in there. Not that I believe, most probably, Russia was involved in something. And, and, but the most dangerous thing about it, I think, is that, that for instance, we know now that there was a big lie told about about Trump's desire for the Trump Tower in Russia, in Moscow, right? We yes. know there, there was a big lie about that. But just the fact that it was going on during the campaign, what does that mean? That means that if they accepted him, uh, they would have him in a certain kind of vulnerable position. If, they, if he's doing business uh, negotiations with Russia, then he's putting himself in a very compromised situation. And, you know, people will say, well, if, if in that meeting he, they were trying to offer, you know, information to Russian agents were trying to offer information to them and, you know, whether they accept it or not, that if they did take that information and certainly Junior said he wanted it, well, that would be like a gift. That would be like getting something in exchange perhaps for something else, which is why the emolument clause exists. So that, you know, in other words, it's, a, it's saying, well, we'll, we'll have something over you. Maybe you won't get it unless you do what we say. He, he, they offered a penthouse apartment for Putin. <laughs> yeah. You, you yeah, see what I, I mean? remember that. Yeah. Hey, Trump has, it's the disregard of the law that is disturbing to me. The, the sort of entitlement that, and the belief among people who may be in high positions of power, that they're just going to hire their lawyer to get them to do whatever they want to do. And yeah. they don't have to comply with the law. 
And then there's also incompetence, not knowing what the law is. Now, not knowing the law is not an excuse to get get away with the law. Anybody who has any any type of sense knows that you can't go to a foreign government to get information on your political opponent. I mean, that's that's just common sense. And yet there was no demonstration that this Trump or his son, I mean, Sessions knew and Sessions sort of cut that those talks off when they came to him. Uh But Trump should have known and either he was incompetent and didn't know or and just negligent and just careless in his disregard for for the law and for the interest of the United States. Now, I don't think we were ever going to get collusion. That's a very high standard. And I think there's something with the rhetoric and the propaganda or the media presentation of the report that led people to think that we're going to have to get collusion before well, collu- we can- collusion is not a legal term. Yeah, the right. legal term is conspiracy. Right. Which is a it's, little is even a, a tougher thing I would think to prove. It is very tough to prove. You have to improve the intent of of the people involved. And so we're not we didn't really expect to get that, but for somehow and I think when the presentation of the report came out and Mueller wrote his not Mueller but the AG for President Trump Barr wrote his four-page letter. I remember at my church, I didn't go to the service, but the people came to the Bible study after church, and it was like they had all been prepared for a letdown. Oh, the report's not going to show conspiracy. We, we've, it's not going to show anything. And for some reason, the it was downplayed when what the really should have been coming out of the media and the press is not, oh, Barr says not exonerate, it has been exonerated, uh, no collusion, no obstruction. It should have been president not exonerated. That's the main exactly, thing. Exactly, yeah. And he was presented with such deception and just a pure out lie. Yeah, but it was completely predictable that he was going to do that. I guess maybe from a lawyer's perspective, I've seen these authoritarians. They're usually fat white men. Sorry, (laughs) not fat too. But anyway, so um, that's what he was going to do. And if he came out that line not exonerated, that which I told people we're heading towards an impeachment inquiry, because that's where it has to go. If the president has not been exonerated of crimes, it has to go to to the impeachment process and investigation and inquiry. So so somehow we've got the media has presented this in a way that is non-democratic. In other words, not it's not accurate. It's not a, a, a well-founded position to take to suddenly just read when he said that it's not exonerated and to sort of read that and act as if that means, oh, well, he has been exonerated. And now we can just put the report aside. After two years of being on that report, I got to ask, we've come to the finish line. Have we lost our nerve? It shows impeachable offenses. What are we doing having an investigation in the first place if when we find impeachable offenses, we're going to let the president slide for whatever reason? And mostly, I think what they're pushing is a fear narrative. Oh, what's going to happen if Trump, if we impeach Trump, it's going to cause us to lose seats in the House. But there's plenty of ways in which 
it could go badly for Trump. I mean, going over the last four years of everything he said and done could go badly for the Republicans and for Trump. And I don't believe for one second that Trump or the Republicans want an impeachment fight. Well, another problem that I think is a realistic problem is that if you have impeachment hearings and you wanted to you want you wanted to go to the Senate to for a conviction or whatever you would call it, where he would he would have to leave the leave office. It's not it's not possible right now, and maybe they're waiting to see if he does anything more egregious, which he is doing. He's in the middle of destroying our economy and other things, and that maybe maybe it, it, it will get too uh, offensive to to the Republicans. I, I, I'm not saying I don't want him impeached, but I'm saying maybe that's one of the motives, because right now, he'd probably, oh, you know, he, he'd get off like Clinton did. But Clinton didn't do anything like he what he did. That's right. And Clinton I mean, didn't Clinton, act- I'm sorry. Clinton probably did do things that he did and, and, and really bad things, in my opinion, but they weren't the subject of the impeachment hearing. Yes. And I think Clinton paid a price for that impeachment as well. And some people have pointed out that we've lost elections and lost power as a result of that impeachment process is very embarrassing for him. And I don't think Trump has the stomach to go through that at all. But when I when we talk about what the Senate's going to do, the fact that the Senate would probably not convict. Well, one thing sort of half as a joke is it's not a bad thing that the Senate doesn't convict. People often will come back and say, well, what if we get Pence? And Pence is probably more competent than Trump. Well, Pence, I think if they get If they come to a point where they have to remove the president, I think it's over for them as far as that election. They'll be humiliated. I don't think they're going to do that. I think there's a lot to, I mean, isn't that the choice? The choice is, do we do it now and really prepare the grounds for an election where he'll be defeated? Or do we wait to see if he does something really bad and so they can get him out anyway? So I, I can understand that argument for impeachment now. We, listen, we have to take a break, not a break. We have to say goodbye. And I, before we do, would you mind giving some contact information? Because we're definitely going to continue this in our next program. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Um, Rich Proceda, Bible Study for Progressives. You can get that wherever you get your podcast. Modern Lectionaries um, spells just like it sounds, .blogspot.com. And you can Google uh, my name and find my articles at laprogressive.com. And one thing we're doing, we're going to have a rally out in front of Gil Cisneros' office on Friday, September 6th at 10 a.m. in the morning. And we're also doing a whole lot of other activities. So get in contact with me. We have a Facebook group by the people LAOC, and also we're part of By the People, Impeach President Trump. Find us on Facebook, or and, um, and that's it. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, and uh, we'll return soon with our next exciting sequel to um, Impeaching Donald Trump. The Coalition is a unique project designed to empower its members both individually and collectively. Besides individual empowerment, its broader focus is on the restoration, protection, and enhancement of citizen and human rights throughout the world through the aid of its members. As this project is centered in the United States, our first task is to create a website and social network infrastructure to promote collective efforts to take back our rightful control as citizens over our government as designed by our founding fathers. Although we must begin with a social network restricted to United States citizens, the organization will also host a global dialogue for the discussion of human rights 
by citizens of democratic nations throughout the world. If you're interested, please check us out in the GoFundMe.com website, entering in the search field, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. That is, go to GoFundMe.com and enter in the search field, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. This is Johnny Bluestar, host of Inalienable and Free, the Voice of the Coalition, a program devoted to the development of the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. The Coalition is a unique project designed to empower its members both individually and collectively. Besides individual empowerment, its broader focus is on the restoration, protection, and enhancement of citizen and human rights throughout the world through the aid of its members. As this project is centered in the United States, Our first task is to create a website and social network infrastructure to promote collective efforts to take back our rightful control as citizens over our government as designed by our founding fathers. Although we must begin with a social network restricted to United States citizens, the organization will also host a global dialogue for the discussion of human rights by citizens of democratic nations throughout the world. If you're interested, please check us out in the GoFundMe.com website, entering in the search field, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. That is, go to GoFundMe.com and enter in the search field, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. We will now play an inspiring ballad called The World is Yours to Change. I don't know the artist because all I have are the initials JSC, but I do know the intention because it says the following in part on the website. Quote, it's no secret that our world is in turmoil. From the discord between nations, environment shifts, and the looming threat of nuclear war, there's never been a time in our history that mankind has been this close to the edge. Unfortunately, the term, quote, world peace seems like an insurmountable task that most people think is impossible. Though the times may seem dire, the power to turn things around lies within each and every one of us. All it takes is a shift in consciousness and the consistent actions of like-minded individuals with the courage and determination to stand up to those in power. Our goal is for the message in this song to reach every person who hears it. We hope it will ignite the spark that starts the fire within them so they can help rid the earth of the atrocity of nuclear weapons and ensure the future of the planet is one and without that evil. We concur. Support the coalition and support all the candidates who support human and citizen rights and in a careful and intelligent way, the abolishment of all nuclear weapons. by the day. 
believe in 